cliffcentral.com. Another episode of the Renegade Report. And as promised, this is going to be a cracker. Uh, yes, a, a bit like the interdict against uh, uh, Tuli Madonsela today, I think. Yeah. And yeah. crackling like our universities. Well, so we, we're very uh, fashionable today. Our president has lost his mind. Well, he hasn't lost his mind. He's just, uh, he, he knows he, he knows how to keep his power. He knows the game is up and yeah, what desperate people do when they're cornered, right? Well, yeah, I, I'm... I'm uh, Utterly dismayed, but uh, let's uh, let's not focus on uh, that uh, moron for too long. We can, I'm sure we can chat about him later. Um, should we get straight to our guest so let's, we let's, waste no time? Let's introduce. So our guest is the the Grand Wizard of the Somerset West branch of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, it, it exists. Uh, so it's uh, Mr. David Bullard. Thank you, guys. Thank you all very much, y'all, <laughs> from the deep south of the Cape. Of, Have of you any Cape. idea how much starch I use to get those uh, hoods to stand up straight? Well, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not actually easy doing that. Are you, and are you saying you don't have a domestic worker? No, well, I do, privilege. but we don't have, we don't have, uh, we don't just use uh, bed sheets and cut eye holes in them, you know. We do the stuff properly down there. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 down there. Okay, now seriously I'm, stuff. No, no, serious. No, I mean, no. Well, okay, official bio. Yeah. Racist columnist. Yep. Rape apologist. Misogynist. Uh, a misogynist. Who's been married for 31 years, so not a very good misogynist, unfortunately. Well, well you know, could be could keeping be. your wife chained in the, uh, in the kitchen. It's possible. Actually in the cellar. We had a cellar specially built for oh, well, her. Yeah, right. That makes sense. And then probably the grumpiest man on Twitter. Now, that is something I would no, do you. I, no. You're so grumpy on no, Twitter. No, I'm a curmudgeonly. <laughs> you know, when you're 60-something, I'm not giving my age away. When you're 60, you can, you're can. you entitled to be a bit curmudgeonly. And and if I've had a couple of toots, you know, I live on a wine farm. You know what it's like, guys. You know, you have a couple of bottles of Chenin Blanc, get a bit bold and throw something out there on a Saturday night just to see what's going to happen. And then everyone, it's like clubbing seals. And somebody said to me, oh, but you're also into animal cruelty. I said, yes. I said, I like shoving pipes down geese's throat and eating their uh, livers later on and all these things. Yeah. But uh, no, it's easy. Well, yes. Well, well foie gras, as, as we call it, uh, is yep. actually very delicious. <laughs> so so no. think about you, David. You were actually uh, sacked for being racist before it became popular. I, I like to feel – I like to feel – Guys, that I was in the forefront of this. That, um, in fact, that I'd written a column for 14 years for the Sunday Times, and during that entire period, they hadn't uh, realised that I was actually a racist lurking beneath the highly successful column, which brought in lots of advertising every week. And then suddenly, on April the 8th, uh, April the 10th, actually, because the column appeared on April the 6th, they, they found that I was racist. But only two days after I'd offered my resignation. Now, that obviously needs some explanation, I suppose. Yes, please do. It's right. quite a story. I've heard it already, but for the benefit All of All right, Jonathan. we go back to 2008, <laughs> and you may, yes, go back to 2008, and you may remember that the Rottweiler in the presidency, as I dubbed him, Mr. Esop Pahad, had threatened to withdraw all ANC and government advertising from the Sunday Times. And, of course, the entire third section where my column appeared was government advertising. And this, of course, is a bit... Of a, of a worrying situation for any newspaper or proprietor to actually have no advertising, particularly government advertising. And so they basically needed a white sacrifice. So my column was written on April 1st, uh, oddly enough, went in the April 6th edition. It had five days or four days, certainly, to be edited, was edited. 
um, otherwise it wouldn't have had a headline on, uh, appeared on April the 6th. And on April the 8th, I had a meeting with the then editor, Mondley Macanya, about um, actually about blogging, because they wanted me to write a lot more, but for free. And I wasn't wild about the idea. Um, and then uh, I, he said, oh, I th- by the way, I found your article very uh, racist on Sunday. I said, well, why did you publish it? You're the editor. I mean, you know, you can actually, you do sort of have some control over it, don't you? And he shuffled his feet and sort of mumbled a bit. So I said, Mondley, you know, I'm not prepared to really have uh, sort of this relationship, uh, you know, spoilt. I mean, we had actually drunk together. We had actually been on various uh, gigs together. We were, I thought we were good friends. I said, listen, let me pull the column. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, resign. I'll, I'll, I'll pull the column, take the column. No, 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 that's not necessary. Fortunately, I had the foresight to go out and mention this to two other leading journalists that I just resigned, but my resignation has been turned down. And again, two days later, I was actually the MC at a function for Bang & Olufsen, and I get a call from Mondley saying, we're not using the column on Sunday. I said, okay, fine. And I thought nothing more about it because I had a, you know, a job to do that night. On Friday morning, which would now be, what, the 11th, I get a call from John Robbie uh, very early from 7.02 telling me I haven't got a job at the Sunday Times. I said, well, you know, thanks for letting me know. This is news to me. <laughs> so that's how I learnt of my sacking from the Sunday Times uh, via 7.02. It's always nice to have a good news station, I feel. <laughs> right, uh, when they were still breaking and, news. And, and, of course, then it blew up because yeah. uh, if, if, if you remind everyone of the column. So, essentially, uh, it, the column said… It was uh, uncolonized Africa wouldn't know what it was missing. So, we asked people to imagine uh, South Africa, Southern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, for what of a better word, Jonathan, where the, uh, the, the wicked white man hadn't come and there, was no, there were no roads, there was nothing. But I actually gave a very… A good description of life, you know, of, of rural life. But everything, you know, when the lefties get it, they have to twist all the words. So when I described uh, the simple life of a simple, tri- a simple herdsman, a simple tribesman, they said, no, all black people are stupid. I said, no, no, simple means, you know, like uncomplicated, like we don't need a Bentley or two in the garage and we don't have to wear Savile Row suits and type of, no, 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 it was saying that all the people were stupid. I said, okay, fine, okay, all the people are stupid. Oh, God, and made a joke about inventing the wheel and fire had been discovered and stuff like mm. that. All the sort of good stuff that you're allowed to do if you're a licensed comic, but you're mm. not allowed to do if you're uh, – or, or, or indeed you're Jonathan Zapiro. You're allowed to do, but you're not allowed to do uh, if you're a columnist suddenly. Well, or even Zapiro is not really allowed to do it anymore. No. Um, I'm but, glad they reined him in at last. So, so in reflection on that column, is there anything that you would have changed or you feel that might have – No, not at all. <laughs> and I, my only regret is I apologize for it because I was in the – telephone directory and people were assembling outside the gate almost you know and I have a wife and I was very concerned for security and there was a sort of a hate thing going whipped up by the media Um, because you know when you're in favor with the media it's great when you're bringing the money in um, but then when you're down the boot goes in you certainly find out who your friends are so there were plenty of people absolutely delighted to put the boot in and of course Mm. you know the other thing is the column was pretty popular. I mean, the Sunday Times claimed it had 1.7 million readers. Now, look, the Sunday Times are prone to exaggeration from time to time, particularly on their circulation figures. So let's say it had a million readers, or even 800,000, which is quite a lot of readers. Mm. That's, that's a pretty good column. And, and if you haven't got that many readers, um, and you're also a columnist on the Sunday Times, you're going to be a bit pissed off at a bloke called David Bullard, who's been doing it for 14 years and isn't even a bloody journalist, man. He's a financial guy who's segued over and thought, 
hey, this looks pretty easy. I mean, Jonathan, imagine if I come into the theatre and say, hey, this anaesthetist stuff looks pretty easy. All you could do is give him a jab of 300, 400 of this stuff here and hang around. If your head moves and your blood pressure goes up, you switch this switch. What did you study for, man? It's a perfect it's a description of my job, actually. I know. I've been, I, I'm going to give it a go sometime. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. So if you haven't been to university like Rhodes and you haven't studied journalism, whatever that is, I think it's a lot of bollocks itself. But um, if you haven't done that and you just swan in and you get a column – you know, not even court reporter. You haven't earned your spurs. There's a picture of you every week. You then get invited to parties. And when we started writing about cars, you get lent very fast cars. And you're getting flown first class to Spain to drive a Porsche Turbo. It's understandable that people loathed me. I would have loathed me. Hmm. All right. So let's you, – because you brought up journalism. So let's talk journalism because uh, it would seem uh, – journalism is a uh, – or it used to be a relatively – uh, honorable career uh, if you took journalism seriously in the sense that it was about actually reporting the news not your opinion of the news mm. uh, so you would hope that there would be journalists who would actually stand up for for the purity of, of, of what the career originally signified that doesn't seem to happen anymore and, and so journalism is being stomped and killed uh, it's, it's dying in my opinion well, we don't have journalism, we've got news networks that decide on who they support and then they write stories about that uh, what's your sort of take on, on journalism? Look, I, I think I must firstly say that I never consider myself a journalist, I consider myself a columnist and I wrote about cars and travel and stuff like that you know, I was never actually out to win a Pulitzer Prize by wearing a bulletproof vest in Syria and stuff like that mm. However, the point you make are very well made, um, but I think the whole game has changed. And we were saying before we came on air, when you produced a weekly newspaper or a daily newspaper, you went to press in the evening, you'd had a diary meeting in the morning, everyone wrote their bit, it went in, and next day was another day. Job done. Now, with the internet, you've got to constantly upgrade that. And if you look at, let's say, uh, an internet page, a newspaper's internet page, an hour later and it's still the same, well, you know, you're going to say, oh, I'm not going to go back there again. So there is a lack of material um, initially. You have to pad yeah. it out with something. Therefore, I think the quality of journalism falls because it's very expensive to have investigative journalism. It's very expensive to actually get good journalists. And you'll mm. notice, Jonathan, that most of the newspapers have got rid of older guys. Very simple reason. Their medical aids were too expensive. Mm. Their pensions were going to be too expensive. They were too expensive. And so you've got newspapers in this town run by basically people who are you know, teenagers. I'm not quite just past teenagers. You know, post-adolescence. I remember when we went and we had people like the late Michael Coulson who left the financial mail. Michael Coulson was a walking library. You could go to him and say, you know, there was a banking group in 1972 that did this. Oh, he said, that will be so, 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 so. And he he knew it. But that knowledge was being passed on to younger journalists. There is nothing being passed on at the moment. I mean, it's just a frenetic thing. It it was fun. I have to say, I had a wonderful time at the Sunday Times, despite the way it ended. I had a marvelous time. Um, But that's because I was working in the days when journalism was fun. I think it's a god-awful job now. Yeah. Badly well, paid god-awful job well, as well. They're not, they're not afraid to say it either on Twitter. The, the only reason journalists uh, work now is if, like these must fall, like manna from the heavens. Oh, yeah. They can go on their, in their, in their like bicycle helmet and say stun grenades are going off. It feels like Syria, but it's actually five students oh, and okay. one policeman like tussling. In the center of the Vitz probably well, we, have our, we have our friend from ENCA, don't we, who sort of, you know, r- runs off there and uh, doesn't, well, doesn't much like much criticism, I've noticed. Oh, Nicholas. 
one Bauer. Twitter. And Nicholas Bauer, the very uh, right. same. But he I mean, loves, he loves me for some reason. Oh, does I he? Say, I say that ironically. Bad luck. Um, bad luck. Yeah. He just wants to troll me on Twitter for some reason. No, that's it. Why. I've never heard of him before. Uh, Twitter, but nevertheless, no. He, but but he, you know, he's also he's living, I think, in Hillbrow. He's very. You've got to have struggle cred, incidentally. By the way, I must say that I never had any struggle cred. So if you've sort of you know married a, a person of a different race, or if you walk for twenty kilometres to school barefoot, um, or, or you were locked up like Jonathan Shapiro was for an hour in the back of a police van with only a warm Coca Cola <laughs> for company before your dad bailed you out, you know, and you threw. You see, I couldn't throw stones at the police in the eighties because I was working for. A bloke called Derek Keyes uh, in the financial markets. And I said, Mr. Keyes, sir, can I go and throw stones at the police? He said, no, Bullard, get on and make money. That's what you pay to do, not throw stones at the police. I'll put my future struggle creds at stake. He said, buggy your struggle cred. Get on with your work, you lazy little sod. <laughs> All right, so Obviously, everyone's racist these days. You yep. were one of the. Uh, I was one of the. I was the forerunners. I like mm, fur trekker. Yeah, you were fur trekker of racism. Yeah, and and you were sort of burnt at the stake of racism. Um, do you think that word means anything anymore? I think it's a v- that's that's very good um, argument. I, I think there's a there's a sort of like um, Gresham's law of racism that the more you use the word, the less it's worth, mm. and it's just been thrown around so much now. I mean, Bobby Godsell was called a racist once, for heaven's sake, and Helen Ziller. I think. Um, you know, someone like Penny Sparrow, it's very damaging. Someone like Chris Hart, who's a good friend of mine, incidentally, and I know he's been on the program, is the last person who I would call a racist. Um, but he's now always mentioned by the by the lefty press in the same breath as Penny Sparrow. For me, it actually has turned me into, particularly where I'm living now, into sort of down in the Ku Klux Klan area of Somerset West, uh, into something of a folk hero. Because people come up and say, yeah, Dave, where are you riding now, my son? And you say, well, nowhere. You say, yeah, but you know, at least you had the balls to tell it as it was. And that's really, really what it turned out to be. So it, actually, the Sunday Times did me a huge favor because I sort of go around. Very few people spit at me in Stellenbosch and in Cape Town. And most people say, doesn't come and have lunch. And I, I said to somebody, uh, I think I wrote in on politics, there are three good reasons to be labeled a racist. Firstly, you can never be labeled a racist again because it's pointless. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Secondly, um, you actually make a very good dinner party guest because everyone says, you know, Dave's coming. He's a racist. Oh, fantastic. That should liven things up. And thirdly, you actually pay less tax because no will employ you so it's actually a sort of it's a triple whammy it's a fantastic win so thank you Mondley you've mate, saved me a lot of money sorry Mr Gordon I would have given you more but I couldn't get the work mate <laughs> all right so I mean that that's true so we, we have a situation where where that's the sort of pathway that gets followed so yeah. if you get called racist um, then the next step is to uh, get everyone to kind of agree with that view. Uh, so you, you get your friends in the media to write about it and, and, you know, you get a column from Eusebius or he runs a whole hour show on I think he called me a, a, a witless middle class homophobe in one thing. And in his latest book, he refers to me and Steve Hoffmayer as sort of like, you know, famous racists of the country. Yeah. And, well, uh, it's the Hillary Clinton basket of deplorables yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, as long as you can group people together, then you, you win the argument somehow. Um, anyway, but it's, that's the thing. You sort of, you, 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 you confirm the person as a racist and then you go after their livelihood. Yes. Um, okay, so 
I mean, you, you, I assume it didn't matter much at that no, point it to you. No, didn't matter at all. <laughs> okay, it didn't matter to you, but it does, we, we see it happening relatively oh, often. That's what annoys me um, most. I mean, in the thing with Steve Hoffman, for example, you know, the likes of Conrad Koch and uh, his ilk seem to get a hard on whenever they actually uh, label somebody a racist or whatever they label them. And then they actually get very excitable um, when the guy loses his sponsorship or his job. So that's the aim to do it, to sort of destroy you. Firstly, destroy your reputation and then make you lose your job and put you out on the streets. And I think that's probably what the Sunday Times thought they might do with me. Mm. Unfortunately, they hadn't done their sums because I only went into journalism after financial markets and I'd made sure I had enough of a war chest not to have to worry. Yeah. I was very surprised. I actually, they took me 14 years to sack me, to be honest, because I would have sacked me 10 years earlier, <laughs> just as a precaution. Tell us a little bit more at the time of working at the Sunday Times. You, you told me a story about when they wanted to hire you in the first place yes. and the amount of work you had to do. Tell me more about those. those well, it was times. very interesting because in 1994, the column first appeared before elections. So um, the first democratic election. So I actually always bragged that the column was older than democracy itself. And I'd been writing something on, I think, Reuters screen or INET screen. And Michael Spicer's wife, Irene Spicer, was in charge of surveys. And at a Christmas party, she said, why don't you come and write a column for the Sunday Times? We were all drunk quite a lot. So I said, why don't you talk to me in January and ask me and, and suggested they might like to mention money as well. So January came and Kevin Davey was the editor of Business Times at that stage. And the column, I said, yes, that's fine. And we came up with an amount that I, I thought was freely fair. At that stage, I have to say I was running my own financial options company. So it was a part-time job. It was a bit of a, a bit of a hobby. So I was, I was working in my, uh, running my company and I was writing a column. And um, it initially, I think, was a fortnightly. Then it very quickly became a weekly and it very quickly um, upset people and got noticed. So, you know, the people, the aim actually was to draw people into the third extraordinarily boring section of business times, which is where, as I say, that government advertising was. So people started talking about the column. They started getting offended or not offended. And then they started saying, geez, this guy is saying the sort of stuff we've been saying at dinner parties the night before. It's amazing. He must have been at the dinner party. So it, it was a sort of zeitgeist thing, if you like. Um, and it is initially was supposed to be about finance, but finance is incredibly boring to write about every week. So it turned into politics, it turned into social comment, it turned into all sorts of things. I mean, I wrote one column in rhyme, like Hilaire Belloc. Uh, I wrote in all sorts of different styles, just for a giggle, just to sort of get it through. But we then got to a stage where I was writing other stuff for the Sunday Times, and I think that this is possibly might have um, been the been the uh, fly in the ointment, shall we say, in April 2008. I ended up getting paid nine rand fifty a word, and there was a great story to that, which is unheard of, incidentally. Nine rand fifty word. I renegotiated a contract, and they said uh, for twenty five thousand a month. That was around about 2002 or 2003 or something like that. And I had three jobs to do. I had to write the bond report. You know, on the bond market, I had to write a thing called Briefcase, which was funnies, which appeared in the middle section of the Business Times, and I had to write out to lunch. So I thought, okay, great, that seems fair, but I'd just be there on a Friday night to do things, etc., etc. So two weeks later, I think, they, um, they changed the entire design of the paper, and two of those jobs disappeared. Briefcase disappeared, and the bond report disappeared. And I thought, well, any day now they're going to call me and say, David, we're going to re need to renegotiate. Well, they did call me in and they said, David, um, someone wants to advertise next to your well-read column. 
Um, but instead of having 900 words, you'll only have 600. I mean, are you okay with that? So they're saying, David, you only have to do two-thirds of the work for the same amount of money. Are you okay with it? Being moderately lazy, I thought, I tried to sort of look concerned. So, but it's creativity, darling, and I just, I don't know. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll make the best of it, you know. And then I thought they're bound to now come and say, you're only writing 600 words every week for Out to Lunch. They're bound to come and say, David, we really need to renegotiate this thing because, you know, this is absurd. They never did. So for many years, I was being paid 25,000 rent a month for 40 minutes work a week. Now, I don't think that's a bad. Now, if you actually annualize that with other stuff I did, that Mm. works out to three and a half million a year, which is quite a good screw for an average sort of columnist, you know, (laughs) three and a half. If I was working a full week, that is, you know, so actually that's white privilege right there. So I had Monday. That's white privilege. So I had Monday to do cars, drive them around very fast and do cars, write about cars. Then I wrote for various other magazines. I actually worked out once and it worked out if I'd been working like most people work, like you guys work, you know, a decent, honest day's work or even a day's work, forget the honest, it would be three and a half million a year. And I thought, shit, that's rather fun. And everyone said, he's always at lunch. I said, well, it's not surprising. He wrote his article by 11 o'clock this morning. <laughs> and I think that might have not gone down frightfully well with the management of Vusa as it then was. Yeah. So they only found out they were paying you 25K a month for four columns of 600 words. Did they only find that out after they fired you? They only found out, yes, probably when we, when we sort of uh, uh, took them to court. They said, how much were you paying him? What? <laughs> were we mad? <laughs> yes, of course they were mad, but it was wonderful. We like mad people in journalism. What, don't they have a management structure or what? Are they, I think they did have a – you know, I did another thing. I did a golf thing for them once. They asked me to go down and present prizes and amuse their advertisers down in uh, – uh, down in uh, Cape Town and I said I need to go down the night before they said oh well, that'll be for your own account so I paid for the hotel for the night before and um, I paid for some drinks um, and it was, I think it came to about 1400 we then came back to Joburg and it was a lot of fun came back to Joburg and said we want to do the same thing for our advertisers up here at Pekinwood so having been sort of screwed over for one night in a hotel I said yeah 15,000 is my fee they came back and said no that's fine so having not paid 1400 for an extra night in a hotel and a round of drinks, they're quite happy to pay 15000 I thought, now these are serious bozos. I mean, milk it for what it's worth. So that's what we did. So, you know. I mean, that's when, that would never happen today. Now it's pennies yeah. everywhere, right? No, I mean, obviously I'd done terribly well in Cape Town. They were so pleased with it. They wanted to, you know, do the same thing at Pekinwood. But I just found it extraordinary. I would have done it for free like I did Cape Town, providing they just said, we'll pay for your petrol or we'll give you a bottle of wine as a thank you. But because they were so schnook down in Cape Town and because they're – they're, they're sort of, it was so penny pinching and so petty. I thought, no, stuff you. I'm going to ask for 15,000. I actually didn't think I'd get it. And they, I was, and when they came back, they said, no, that's fine. 15,000 is fine. I thought, shit, you've actually underpriced yourself again. <laughs> Should have been 30. <laughs> your, your column wrote, it, it looked to offend everyone. I, I mean, did you, did you pull punches with anyone? Cause, cause this is the thing I think people forget. You, you write this column, um, I, I get if I'm trying to be very sort of leftist in my view, I can look at your column and go, oh, you know, okay, I get where I'm getting yeah. upset with this column. Um, 
but your column was quite satirical, uh, and it really made fun of everyone. I, I remember reading columns where you ripped off the Afrikaans people, as yeah. an example. Um, do you feel you're an equal sort of opportunity offender? Well, it's or? exactly how Mondley McCanya described me. I mean, in, on the cover of the third book, he said, David Bullard is an equal opportunity offender. And we would get letters. He'd say, you know, editors of the Sunday Times uh, relish their Monday as a day of rest. And all he had to do was fend off calls from angry poms who, who didn't like being called poms. And mm. I said, but I'm a pom. I can call you. No, you can't. And it, it, it was – but it was sort of – it was so tongue in cheek. The clue was in the title. I mean, out to lunch, as you know, in the American means not all there, not quite there. <laughs> Although I did have PRs phoning say, Hi, Dave, I believe you're at a restaurant with you. We'd love to invite you to our new restaurant. I would go, but then I'd say, Oh, by the way, out to lunch isn't about restaurants, but thanks for the food. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so, all right. So you move, you move on from that and, and, uh, you, you had a column for a short while. We- Elsewhere, we did after the after the sacking. Um, it uh, the column actually reappeared online initially um, it, on, on a very small uh, racing thing called Free Racer, yeah. um, and then it went to MoneyWeb for a while. Then it went to Politics Web, and then there was another column I was also writing for um, a News Time, which was another venture we I was involved with. Um, you know, everyone was trying to get in on the act there, and eventually I told the investor to pull out because – and he was quite keen to continue pumping money in. I said, because you're not actually going to have any unique offering. You know, you're a news aggregator. Uh, we had some very good columnists there, and David Gleason, the late David Gleason, wrote for us and then went back to Business Day. Uh, Sarah Britton was writing for us, and we had some superb quality columns. But – You've actually got to win people's eyes, like you guys have got to win people's ears, mm-hmm. and there's an awful lot to read, and we just weren't getting the advertising. We were getting the promise of advertising, but we weren't getting the actual deals coming through, and it's very difficult, I think, to make money out of a out of a website. I'm yeah. sure the newspapers find that, you know, but, I mean, we hadn't got a print offering as well. So that was on – so a lot of the articles appeared on Newstime, and I was also on uh, – I wrote articles for Joburg.coza as well for a bit, so there was about three online things going at one stage. And now? Now I'm retired to the Cape and, uh, well now we sort of down there, you know, obviously we burn crosses down there on the, I mean not near the vines naturally. I mean, we, we don't, we're very particular about our Ku Klux Klan activities down there. So not certainly near the Shiraz because we don't want people saying, I'm picking up a slight burnt taste here. Oh no, that's would have been one of their lynchings earlier in March. That's- Okay, so so what's your view on the, the sort of state, because you, you, you're making a lot of fun of it, but, um, the, the sort of, Common belief, the race war of, you know, 2016, and I'm sure it'll continue into 2017, uh, the belief that we all hate each other, um, you know, that obviously, you know, we've got horrible, divisive people like yourself, uh, Steve Hoffmeyer, yeah. um, uh, you know, and of course we've got wonderful crusaders like Conrad Koch and yeah, saving uh, us. And Gillian, Gillian, Gillian Shutter, Shutter, and Rebecca Shutter, Davis, Rebecca and, and, Davis. And Peter sure. Howes, you so, know. So we've got the two sides <coughs> set up, you know, uh, um, Captain America Civil War is going on. Captain South Africa, uh, and so what's what's your take on it? Because you've been labelled, and as you say, once you've been labelled, kind of there's no, yeah, there's nothing worse. You can't be unlabeled. There's nothing. No one's going to know where to go from there. No one's going to come through and say, "Dave, we were so wrong about you." No, you're actually really a regular guy, and you're counter kittens too. Um, I think my take on this is very simple: um, the sort of quality of people throwing out those uh, insults, uh, those general insults, without even knowing sometimes uh, the people that they're insulting. Uh, you just have to look at them. You just have to look at the, the, the cracker barrels. I mean, on, particularly on Twitter. Twitter, as we know, is not a real world. But mm. Julian 
Johann Schutter, Peter Howes, people suggesting that colonization did all the damage have got to be completely wacko. I mean, they're, they're off their trolleys, aren't they? they yeah. Because it, there, there were many bad things, but then we've all been colonized. We were colonized by the Romans, uh, as you probably know if you've ever watched any Monty Python films. We were also colonized by the Vikings who came down and did a bit of raping and pillaging. Do you hear us whining on about that? Of course you don't, because we've moved on. But um, it, everyone says, oh, you can't say move on, whatever. I have to say, Jonathan, in my daily dealings with everyone, I really have to support the Institute of Race Relations thing that it's not a daily problem. I was in Rosebank this morning and very few people got smacked because they were the wrong colour. And people get on remarkably well, is my experience. And it's only fermented and fanned by the, by the sort of, what I would say, the lefty press, because it makes a good story in the absence of searching for a real story, you know, about economics or about the economy, about creating jobs. It's much easier to say, science, I made a racist comment. And I have to say, it's not, it's not unique to this country. We only have to look at the UK. And you only have to say something out of line there. And, you know, you, you can be a professor at Imperial College. You can be at Oxford or whatever else. You won't be allowed to debate at Oxford or Cambridge. And the, the voice of the yobs, the barbarians are at the gate. The voice of the yobs are the loudest voices mm. at the moment. And they are yobs and they are minorities. And you cannot reason with these people because they are so incredibly stupid. You know, it, it, we've tried to reason with them, but you get blocked first on Twitter. Just to clarify, this is not race-based. No, no, no. In your opinion. No, no. I, I, look, I think the accusations, if, if you disagree with me, you must be a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or Islamophobe mm. or something a phobe or whatever. It's, it's so easy to do that. Um, but there's no discourse. There's no intelligent discourse. You know, I have prejudices, I'm sure. And I probably, someone once asked me on one of the radio programs, and I knew it was going to happen yesterday, but Dave, Final question. Are you a racist? Which is like, you know, have you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> so I said, you know, I thought about this when I was shaving this morning. I think I am. I don't like Inuits. I do not want Eskimos moving next door to me. That bloody smell of whale blubber. And who the hell wants a house made of ice cubes in 34 degrees? You've got flooding in the swimming pool. No, I do not want Inuits in my neighborhood. And he sort of thought, well, they will leave it there. And there was their blood being a lunatic again. Yeah. But, you know, you, you have to mock it. You have to mock the stupidity uh, and, and the ridiculous comments that sort of come out. And you can't pin these people down. You can't sort of say, when I got sacked, I, I was on um, YFM, I think it was. Yeah, I was on YFM. And none of my attackers would come to the studio. They wouldn't grace the uh, discussion with their presence. And that mm -hmm. was Justice Malala and Fred Kamalo and Kalela Manku and whatever else. I was the only one in the studio. None of them could come and stand up for themselves and actually say, this is what we think, because mm. they would have been, they know they would have been torn apart. Isn't that part of the problem though? You, 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 this, the, the process is, you know, as I mentioned, but then once you're labeled a racist, we get to say, oh no, no, I won't engage with you because you're a racist. So, so I'll just come away. Yeah, um, I'll pull back. Merely by me talking to you, I, yes. I automatically Elevate your position and justify your This is what people were saying. They so said, on. you know, don't, because I did a free thing with France Cronier. Right. And and various journalists, uh, so-called journalists at uh, at News Twenty Four, say, "Oh, it's disgusting! They're giving airtime to racists." I mean, I was actually interviewing about his excellent book, which came out before the election, yes. and he was aware of that, aware of the uh, protestations, and and basically said, "Stuff you! We're actually going to go ahead with it because he wouldn't have invited me." I mean, France knows who I am, knows what I've done, and knows yes. that I actually have a view, and doesn't find it obviously that abhorrent, but. 
look, you know, I said it didn't particularly matter after the Sunday Times. From a journalistic point of view, it didn't. But from a – I did an awful lot of corporate stuff. Now, I mean, I got dropped. Boom. Mm. I did stuff for Standard Bank, for BMW, for Mercedes, for, you know, all sorts. Now, they won't touch you. Because they said, I'm oh, sorry, Dave, you know, we, we know you, you're a lovely guy, but we've got clients that don't want to be in the same room as a racist. I said, well, tell them not to come. He says, it's not quite as simple as that. You know, they give us money and we're going to give you money to be there and it's not working. So it is, it is hugely damaging. It's intended to be hugely damaging. And very few companies have the balls to say, oh, don't talk crap. You know, we've been dealing with him for 10 years. We know him and don't absolute nonsense because it was in the Sunday Times. Therefore, it must be true. Because I do have a feeling that these sort of people you, you're talking about, they actually, their intention is to humiliate. Their intention is to make like, themselves feel good because they're actually such good people, you know. It's only when you're at a charity auction you realize that they're actually not that good. Um, but they are such wonderful people. They're best whites. They're much better than any of us. And they want to show that it's virtue signaling at its best. You know, I really am so concerned about all these poor people who can't. And, you know, they probably don't even know the name of their own domestic servant or the middle name or the surname or can't pronounce it. There's a load of bullshit. It is total virtue signaling from social justice warriors. Makes me puke. No, me too. Because the worst part, <clears throat> Chris Hart was fired for saying entitled, right? People are entitled. But Bladen's a Monday said the same thing a few weeks ago. You see, mm, Kaiser yeah. wrote it in, in a column yes. a few weeks ago. Nelson Mandela said it. No one's upset. But, but, but when Chris wrote it, I mean, I couldn't see what the problem was with uh, with Standard Bank on the thing. And I, I, I sort of tweeted quite a bit about it. And I, I got very annoyed also at the 702 presenters, Reedy Clarbia and Bruce Whitfield, who more than happy to have Chris on their show for free. And as soon as he's down, in go the little booties there, a bunch of spineless... <laughs> vertebrate okay so deleted so how do we fight the left we mock them we mock them we actually show them up for the idiots that they are and you know they will disappear at some stage because it really is the politics of envy anyone who's doing well anyone who's successful needs to be brought down and if you look at these people the commonality the common thread is that they're not particularly successful I mean Eusebius Mukasa was on the radio and he's doing various bits and pieces and that's fine but you know he won't enter in, in, in discourse unless it's on his terms and he likes to think he's a best selling author but if you check the, uh, the number of books sold Best-selling doesn't really cut it, you know. Best-selling, you know, yeah. You 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 can look at best-selling, and if you go to exclusive books um, top ten list, those are the best-selling books in the country, and he's not been anywhere near there. Okay, so we mock them, fine, and but they seem to have a lot of. So let's think about the areas in which I think there's a lot of control from the left. Yeah. So the universities at the moment are falling apart, yes, because basically the left, as part of a project over decades has made their goal to basically run universities aided and abetted um, by our lefting media as well yes so then so we've got the universities we've got the media we've got a government that's left and is moving more leftwards yeah. to try chase the eff who so far left um they actually don't even know where on the map they are um and 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 so 
So there's got to be a bit more. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is that at some stage, reality takes over. And uh, it, it's the question really here, and very much as it is in the States at the moment, where you can survive that reality, that shock. Uh, the reality for us, I think, could well be a, a downgrade to junk and could be uh, a movement to the uh, IMF. Now, you've got to remember that this isn't reserved for third world banana republic emerging market doodah countries, as, as, as a lot of people seem to think. The, the UK went to the IMF in 1976. Four years later, Margaret Thatcher came in and things changed. Now, whether you like Margaret Thatcher or not, and I do happen to think she did great things for England, things did change and it became a very prosperous country again. But it was really on the bones of its arse in 1976. We... I think we think that we're still in this sort of like post-1994 Mandela honeymoon and everyone loves us. They don't. We're not in very important. And unless we can compete in the world, unless we can get that message through to people. But I'm just very worried, Jonathan, at the moment with the university thing that will be firstly a clog up at the universities. People who've passed matric won't be able to go to the universities because there won't be any room there. Uh, people won't be able to graduate. They won't be able to go into medicine, won't be able to go into law, won't be able to go into engineering. But more than that, your academic will eventually say, bugger this, you know, I didn't come into academia for a, for a dangerous life. I mm. could have gone into bomb disposal for that. I think I might apply for that job in Vancouver. And so our tertiary institutions will be worthless. And only then will the message get through. Now, we've got to try and get that message through via the media before it happens. And I think there are enough sensible people in society to do that. I think, sadly, those people don't really have a voice other than something like this. And they don't have a voice in the media because, you know, they're, they're, oh, you know, it'd be fantastic to have free education. It would be fantastic to have free food as well, free accommodation, because with that free education, we'll have to come free food, free accommodation. You can have free tertiary education if all the lecturers take a pay cut or actually lecture for free. You can have it. Hmm. They're not going to, are they? Of course they're not going to. So who on earth has well, actually pushed well, this story? Well, it's, it's supremely entertaining to watch – uh, people who supported Fees Must Fall in 2015 very vociferously, uh, some of whom sat in council meetings and voted for, uh, for instance, the road statute to be removed or voted for zero ratings uh, in 2015 going into the 2016 year. Um, academics who clearly don't understand just basics of economics uh, and didn't realize that at some point the wheel is going to kind of turn and hold the boot's going to kick on. them in the Ac- arse. Academics kick the can down the road, and they're surprised when they found the but, can but, again. But so, what's mm. but 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 what's very entertaining is that these guys are now their jobs are a year later under threat, essentially, and 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 now they're they're all worried, and they suddenly they're against what they stood for a year ago. Well, I think you know the other thing that we haven't touched on here is uh, is a very important part of alumni. And uh, we've seen those comments on, on various politics web articles. You know, an awful lot of people who went to Stellenbosch and went to Witz and went to work donate because they've done well in life. Now, you're not going to have intelligent businessmen throwing money down a hole and having libraries burned. But there is an awful lot of comparison with what's happening here with Kristallnacht, with the Nazis. You know, you burn books, you burn art. The Witz have actually had a very large uh, art collection bequeathed to them or given to them, yeah. which they've had to hide. Because it might be burnt. They can't show it to the public. We can't enjoy those paintings by Walter Batiste, I think it is. Can't enjoy those paintings and because someone's going Kent to burn Ridge them. As well. Yeah, they've got to be hidden away in a bunker somewhere. Now, that is that is not the sort of society that I want to live in and I don't think many other people do. 
Yeah. So, but but what about what about the argument from the other side that says, well, you know, uh, we've got bigger problems in all our poverty, and we've got problems in educating the poor, and so this is really just a uh, an answer to that, and 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 because it's taken so long to kind of try service those people in some way and and help them, uh, this is this is where, where well, we've come to. You know, the answer to that one very simply is that uh, when you've got a president who spent 240 million or whatever on his private home not indeed a state house not in fact something the next president is going to inherit you actually say well listen you really need to look at who's governing the country and what is happening there you know people will say oh well if you reduce the defense budget you can afford tertiary education mm-hmm. you could also look at the the nature of the tertiary education and say now what are they going to want do they because we get to this land of wonderful thing decolonization mm-hmm. and i asked professor chris thurman who's also on twitter mm-hmm. to please define decolonization and Can't he sent me the done. biggest load of waffle i said well it presumably means you don't know he's teaching shakespeare in a decolonized kind of way hmm. i think if i had kids at wits i'd rather them learn shakespeare from the point of view of the beauty of the words and the story well, rather than you know should othello actually be decolonized and should he oh, it's well they, they don't know what they mean i, I no, had this don't. argument recently i sit on a well the exco um of convocation and and the president who's now just resigned uh wanted to us to release a statement with the word that we support decolonization. And I said, well, I can't support something that has no definition. If you tell me what you mean by decolonization, I will consider supporting it. Um, and, but until you can give me a definition and I got answers like, oh, it's been, you know, it's in many p- published papers. I said, please show me one peer reviewed paper that clearly defines decolonization. There isn't, uh, if anyone listening is interested. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, as you call it, waffle. Waffle. waffle bits, uh, there, yeah. there are many different definitions out there, none of which actually mean anything. Uh, the only, uh, thing I, I consider to be the truth about decolonization is that it's a hate project. Essentially, what it comes down to is is that uh, Vitz, for example, has had a transformation body for many years now, um, which has done actually fairly good work at transforming the university. Uh, the reality is, as we've discussed on the show many times, it takes years to transform a university because the people who run universities are academics, and yes. it takes decades to get someone to the point where they're a professor of a department. Um, and so there are very good things happening uh, across all the universities in terms of transformation, but they don't happen overnight. And so the frustration with the transformation project leads to the request for decolonization, which is a less racist way of saying, please get rid of the white people mm. um, and replace them with people who are representative demographically of our country. No, but there's also this idea, the, the white ideas, right? The European ideas. Now, I'm sorry, <clears throat> how is building a bridge here or in England different? Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you get rid of in, of European engineering well, this or becomes, whatever the case Exactly. This is where it becomes complete nonsense, why they don't have a definition, because it's one of these buzzwords. And if you're going to be a trendoid social justice warrior, um, you know, uh, academic, you've got to sort of keep burbling decolonization. But it's, it's done purposefully. Oh, yeah. And, and journalists try to define it in whatever they want to define it to mean whatever the hell they want it to mean. Well, it's like Humpty Dumpty, isn't it? You know, when I use a word, it means precisely what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. So, well, well, I was told tolerance is a, a word of oppression. 
in the same argument I was having about decolonization, tolerance is a word of oppression because tolerance, I was told, implies that you're only tolerating the other side and that they don't really have a right to speak. You're just tolerating their right to speak. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so what's, I mean, the, the, what's the preferred unfortunately, word? And this comes yeah. from, this comes from the, 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 the worry for me is this, this is not coming from uneducated students or half-educated students. Uh, this is coming from academics. That came from someone with a PhD. Uh, bear in mind, yes, not a PhD in, in clearly in English or anything but, but related to That's why I to sort of support Feed Must Fall in a way because I do hope that something like Vits will just say, you know what, fuck you guys. All we're going to do now is STEM, STEM subjects, yeah. and it's going to be very difficult to get in. So go, if you want to do your fucking BA, go to UCT, Max Price will take you very well. Advert, Look, Max Price is locked in a bunker somewhere, <laughs> cradling himself. But yes. but maybe if he comes up, Sucking he might some do rocking that. backwards so and forwards and mumbling. Has, a, has, a, has that effect then? Maybe we'll get colonized universities coming into the country privately online, and people can study whatever the hell they but, want. You know, take your thing. I mean, location. supposing Fisma Fall um, demonstrators find there is no university, and the, and the, they say, "Okay, guys, we give up." You know. You can manage the buildings, you can handle the workers' rights, you can do this, but there won't be any lecturers coming in, you know, whatever. And then you're in complete disaster, obviously, but then they'll realize that actually it's it's fallen. I mean, they've lost the thing already. There was a vote. They've already lost. I don't know why we're even negotiating. There was a vote of who wants to continue with their studies, which they've now said, oh, no, that was just a poll. You know, a bit mm. like Brexit. Oh, it was just a poll. You know, <laughs> we don't like the results, so therefore, you know, can it we have another count. one, please? And, and, and someone in, in in the management of the of, of the uh, of the university should say, guys, sorry, did you not see the paper? You've lost. You have nothing. Now get off. Well, they, but did, how come, they did say that, and then they came and then on they campus came, again. But you know, Roman, the, the other problem is, is if, and I think if I was going back to, let's say I was 18 or 19, I could set fire to a building for a bit of a lark and not be prosecuted. Yes. You know, my testosterone was running quite high. There would have been a bit of a giggle pouring petrol oil over somebody's car or whatever. Um, and uh, if I knew I could get away with it, which I knew I couldn't get away with it, I might have just done it. And, of course, this is the message that's gone out. Guys, don't worry. You can get away with it. If you throw stones at the security guys, that's fine. If they throw them back at you, we're going to damn well discipline them. I mean, that is God. It is, it's, it's like, as I said the other day, it's like being trapped in a Gary Larson cartoon, isn't it? Does this, does this all come back to, to kind of our president and, and, and a lot of our leaders? Yes. Uh, leaders, you use that word advisedly. Yeah, 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 sure. Yes. Yeah, very yes. Yes. Are those, those people you mean who are driving in, in 760 BMWs? Yeah, by, yes. 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 Those Just, ones. I suppose by uh, de facto yes. um, position, they, they're leaders. Yes. But, but um, you know, we've, we've had years now of a decade, essentially, of poor leadership, at least, um, in many areas, the presidency being a, the, the, the great example, um, where there is no accountability, where, you know, you can steal 250 million to, yes. to build a house and yeah, at the end of the day, you'll pay 8 million or whatever it was. Um, you can, uh, you can basically, uh, take over every part of the, the, the sort of country for your own means and, and, and for your own family. Uh, there is no accountability. Uh, have we reached the point where, well, if there's no accountability at that level, I mean, you know, little examples that get given often are, well, you know, do you speed or do you drive badly sometimes? Oh, like um, leaders say, you I know. Fucking hate that fucking bum, thing. Bum, bum, bum. Oh my god. No, you're right. But be aware of your responsibility. As bad as Zuma. Yeah. No, fuck all. Not but as bad as Zuma. I, mean, I love that. I love that. But, you know, I love leaders say, but you know, because they're preaching to people who actually don't do these things. Don't tell that message to the president. No, you're right. But be aware of your responsibilities. Your responsibility is to repay 250 million, mate. And they say it to 702 listeners. Yes. The most 
inane, boring, middle-class people this country has ever yes, produced in the world. Yes, who probably pay taxes. And all they care about is fucking potholes. No, really. No, <laughs> well, exactly. Don't, don't speak. Having just but arrived here, you should care about potholes. Sorry, that's really that's anyway. mind. He's I'll gone. Really yeah, he's gone. He's gone. Right. Chris, where's the spray? Where's the spray? Chris, have you still got anesthetist stuff? Give him a jab. Put him down. Clonazepam for the win. But I think we've got to it. We have got to a stage of super rot. And I think there was a general acceptance amongst um, certain of the politicians, it doesn't matter. I think that's going to turn around a little bit now, hopefully, in Joburg. It certainly is not the case, I think, in the Western Cape, despite various accusations against the DA. They were always going to get a bad apple. But, you know, if generally things are working for the general good, then I'm happy. There's corruption in England, there's corruption in the States. But if generally most of the people, this is very John Stuart Millish, I know, but if most of the people are happy, then things are working. But if everyone is getting unhappy as they are now, then things are very definitely not working. And if you're sort of seeing absurd cases like, you know, I I joked the other day about Sean Abrahams, whether that wasn't part of the sort of creepy clown craze, which is sweeping the world. (laughs) You know, because it is the most bizarre thing. And you can't explain to Florence. Well, just his unibrow is quite bizarre. You can't can't explain to Florence. So what's happening? Well, um, uh, look, at the last I heard, um, we were going to uh, charge the um, Minister of Finance with for, but maybe we're not. We'll have to see about it. But let, tune in tomorrow for the latest exciting episode and watch the rand. You have to believe these guys are shorting the rand and yeah. then covering positions. But well, I heard today someone said that he was a great trader because uh, if he had just taken all his cash and bought dollars um, just yeah. before he made that announcement, he yes, absolutely, made a pretty penny. He would have done very nicely. Do you, do you think, uh, do you think there's gonna, I know you're not, you're not, uh, sort of Franz Cronier, you're not, uh, strategy planning, scenario but, planning. and scenario, scenario planning, planning, but, uh, do you think do you think things get better? Because because I know you say you, you things are going to turn, and I, I'm just not convinced. I just think if you look at uh, you know places in Europe, places in Africa where stuff turns bad, yes. um, as long as the guys who are turning it bad are, are are coining it, basically, which no matter what Jacob Zuma does uh, to our economy, he's he's the guy at the top, so it doesn't really hurt him that much. Um, do you really think there's there's going to be a change, Jonathan? The problem is we still live very well here, and we can be uh, we tend to be complacent. I mean, if you're in somewhere like uh, Aleppo, obviously it's a very different situation. If you're other countries, Zimbabwe would be a classic. We're still, as we drove here, I'm looking at new Mercs, I'm looking at new BMWs, I'm looking at masses of buildings going up around Rosebank. It may have been legal, may not have been legal. We live a very nice life in the Western Cape, and I think that an awful lot of South Africans, black and white, mm. just I could say, oh, that's the price you pay, you know, and we don't have a government. I mean, we just have a bunch of guys in 760 BMWs going around and waffling uh, and doing nothing. We really don't have uh, any leadership at all. But the, the frightening thing is, I mean, post the municipal elections, they've got three more years to steal whatever's left. Mm. Hence the nuclear um, energy deal uh, and various other suggestions that might mm. come forward because that's so transparently obvious. So, so what's keeping is, us is together, the middle class, the 12 million you know, people in the middle class? We live in a very beautiful country. We have a wonderful scenery. We actually do get on well, despite what the media tell us. We do actually get on well with Indians and, and, and Afrikaners and English and Zulus and uh, causes and whatever else. We actually do get on well, most of us. And we will go for a drink together and we've got lots of fabulous shops in Rosebank. We can buy all sorts of uh, labels from all over the world. And we've got craft beers and we've got wine and we've got what's not to like, as they say. Hmm. 
You know, that is, and that makes you quite complacent. I think when your future is really threatened, the RAND's improved, when your future is really threatened, you think, I'm not going to have enough money to retire on, or I'm not going to have enough money to live on, or I've just lost my job, or they haven't paid me, as in, you know, the Zimbabwe military. When that starts happening, and it will, it will at some stage start happening. That's when you get the problems. I don't think the problems, incidentally, on the on, on the campuses are generally to do with poverty and inequality. I think they're to do with uh, a lot of political agitation because you need to embarrass the ANC. And for God's sake, I mean, they've done that so well. So I think there are many other forces uh, at, at work there. But mm. generally speaking, in all societies, you know, I'm not uh, uh, Johan Rupert. I would love to. I, no, I think I don't think I would have liked to have his money. But, you know, there is no such thing as e- equality from the day you're born. There are different opportunities and this bullshit of white privilege. I mean, my grandmother on my mother's side was a domestic servant. Mm. Uh, in the 1900s, she was actually up at four o'clock uh, cleaning grates. So my grandmother on my mother, on my mother's side is a domestic servant. My grandfather on my father's side was a bus conductor. So I've got pretty good working class um, uh, roots. Crazy. Crazy. Now, yes. yeah. my parents, my father was in the war and he worked very hard to get banking exams and this is why I am where I am today. But I think people think, oh, he speaks frightfully posh, he must go back, he must have been to Eden, he must go back, he must go back to the 14th century. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you we can't don't. you can't win the white privilege argument because no. even when you give them that, uh, they say that they argument say, is indicative of your privilege. But not only that, you know, you only got your job because it was easier for you to get your job, but you only got your. Degree there is an or, element of or, truth or, about that. But I actually started a company and made myself managing director because I thought that was the only way. Because I did work for a white company and they never mm-hmm. made me managing director. I thought the only way I'm going to be managing director start my own company and appoint myself. Mm. So that was like white privilege on white privilege because the white person appointed me. It was, me. and he also sacked me actually at the end. It was a very weird sort of schizophrenic type of evening that was. David, yes, you haven't made enough money. <laughs> yes, you're fired. Okay, fine, I'll become a journalist. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I think that you, this white privilege thing, you, ugh, God, it's just another buzzword, isn't it? You want to slap them. I mean, my white privilege, Jonathan, was this. I came to this country when the rand was 185 uh, to the pound, mm. and it's now 17, it's been to 24. How privileged is that? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, uh, you came he, with pounds, I assume. Yeah, well, I came with pounds, but they, the, the exchange rate was 185. I've had to stay here as a currency hostage. I mean, I would, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm actually a victim, man. I'd like to, no, you don't have many victims on this show, but I would like to, have people know I'm a it's victim. A currency, a currency hostage. Victim. I think currency, currency hostage might be, might be like Muslim. Yeah. I think, I, I wonder how many people it's... actually do come here and then like a crisis happens and they lose half their money. Like, we can't actually afford to go back. Well, <laughs> we think there's, I think there's been a few of those. Well, I know actually. a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, who are not a lot, but a couple of people who who who've gone and got got contracts in Africa, um, earning dollars, and for that exact reason, yes. they're doing the reverse. Yes, exactly. obviously. Um, all right, you've got a bit of an opinion on the American election, and and of course we've recently uh, had Donald talking about grabbing women's genitals. Um, so uh, tell tell us your views. Well, there is that lovely there's that lovely line in Scent of a Woman. When um, Colonel Frank Slade is talking to uh, young Sims on the plane about women who invented them. God must have been a fucking genius. He's got this one, but he says, Mr. Sims, there's only two syllables in the world you need to learn. Pussy. Listen to me, son. I'm giving you pearls here. (laughs) Now, I think Don just basically picked up from Al Pacino's movie there. You know, I think that was the influence there. But, you know, to be serious, have we been sitting? No, we haven't been. Um, Who... (laughs) Which red bloody guy has not at some stage had a similarly inappropriate conversation over a whiskey in a bar somewhere about a girl has walked past? 
you know, and it doesn't make you a rapist. It just makes you a guy with testosterone. I and mean, we sort of, we, we seem to be the only species that wants to actually shallow the de- gene pool. You know, we actually want to protect all these things. Most people, most species of animal, you, you obviously go to the bush, both of you. I mean, the weak actually suffer. The lame impala doesn't have an, an activist group saying, oh, we must submit saw the lions, we're going to get him tonight. We must go to, he's lame, he's limping. Gather around, guys. You know, they say, great. So all that's going to get taken out. He's limping. We can carry on grazing. This is, looks cool to me. Thank you. See, we can break another leg of another impala. <laughs> get him taken out. We are the only ones who want to, we want any people who want to continually support the freaks and the weak and the whatever. I don't think that it's, it's necessarily a bad thing to actually want to help people, but I think to actively go out and say, right, anyone is successful. You know, you, you've, you've been, you white businessman, you've been white, what, what's this? What's white monopoly capital? This mm. is the new yes, buzzword. White buzzword. monopoly capital. The white monopoly capital delivers all the groceries to um, uh, Woolworths every morning, which if wasn't working, where would you get your food? You know, the white monopoly capital that produces 38,000 jobs in the company, the white monopoly capital that actually takes a risk with South Africa, gets serious left odds. White monopoly capital makes the country work and probably keeps uh, – most of these people are working for, uh, for, for, let's say, media but, firms, which is white monopoly capital. Hello. But some of it's not white monopoly. It's black monopoly well, capital. Well, exactly. This is this other ridiculous I – mean, it's it's, none of it's monopoly capital. It's capital. It's capital. I mean, the prospectus in 1994 said, we're going to become a non-racial society. I thought, great. I'll buy into that one. That's fantastic. And ever since then, they've lied. We haven't had delivery. We're not a non-racial. We're more racial than we ever were. We were supposed to all, you know, the rainbow nation, we would be a non-racial society. Jobs would not be offered on race. Everyone would be given an equal opportunity. I, I do think BE is a load of hogwash. I think AA was a load of hogwash. I think there should have been mentoring. I think there should have been a much better, much more organized system of bringing people up the, uh, uh, the ladder and, and, and shall we say this other ghastly word, empowering people. Mm. But you know, Jonathan, I mean, I've got a young nephew who, who did very well at his accounting exams and he had a couple of black colleagues who also did very well. They had to go overseas. They decided to go overseas to get qualifications because here, their peer group will assume that they only got the job because of their skin color. So they have to go and work for Goldman Sachs or Deloitte or whatever because they actually got the qualifications because they passed the bloody exams mm. and they did well. They're even more disadvantaged than we white privileged, white colonialist capital people because they've got more to make up for. Well, that is absurd. I mean, here are the very people who should be running the country and who should actually be running companies in the country, and some are. Mr. Picciano being one of them, thank heavens. We get on also to, to, to business. Business has been appallingly quiet. I mean, you know, they've always been cowards. They, but they've been pathetic. There's no other word but for it. But they were cowards during apartheid oh, they and were, they're cowards yeah, now. You know, you've got to look at where the licensing is coming from. But I think we've got to a stage now, you were saying, you know, where we're in such a drastic situation that you really do need business to speak out. And not just uh, Sipo Pinchani. You need a few other people as well to speak out. And mm. thank heavens he is. Not making himself popular, but uh, well, he is making himself very popular down down with the Somerset West KKK. But uh, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it, you need people to do that. And business, if business just it, it's the old Burke thing, you know. If you know, if good men remain silent, etc. Yeah, and women, please, and women. Yeah. Well, yeah. With, an, with an X instead of yeah. an E. Wimps. Yeah, women, women, wimps. 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 Yeah. How do you even pronounce that? Wimps. 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 How yeah. do you pronounce that? Do you know? X. Is it? Is it I, I spit on people when I say that. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. I don't know why you're saying Wimps. it. I don't, we Wimps. should reject this entire yeah. uh, thing. So, talking about Wimps. Wimps. And, um So, we, just Wimps. quickly on Hillary. 
Yes, uh, lovely woman, lovely, lovely, lovely girl, lovely girl. Um, you know, I think thoroughly honest. Uh, a little bit, perhaps not. <laughs> oh, shut up. Really, thoroughly. Maybe, maybe not as savvy uh, on the internet as as we would like for a person who might become president. Oh shit! I just press delete again. God, thirty three thousand yeah. times. But um, no, it really is too. We we've got a couple of Americans staying at the place I'm staying at here, and they were talking to me about it this morning. And they said it is frightening. There were 17 um, Republican candidates to start with, which is almost unheard of. And the view of one of the guys says this is the Republican Party imploding, maybe with the aid of of the Democrats who who voted for for Trump. Well, there there was an email uh, this past week, one of the leaked emails, uh, which the media is not reporting on. Yes. And there's really interesting stuff in there. For instance, that Hillary basically was um, her campaign were speaking to journalists at the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these sort of supposedly unbiased yes. you know, journalists uh, from these great Pulitzer Prize winning papers. They were basically setting up stories. Um, and one of the emails actually, um, they, they spoke about pushing, uh, this is at the very beginning, uh, June last year, they speak about pushing Trump and uh, Ted Cruz to the top of the leaderboard on purpose. The Democrats wanted them on the top of the leaderboard. Yes. So they're going to get the media to push them there. Um, and for the purpose of making the the Republicans look more right-wing than they actually are, this is democratic wording, more right-wing than they actually are, to knock out the centrists so that they – the, the, no one will vote for the Republicans. That was that you was see, so. A, Trump is partially a, a Democratic plan. You see, I mean, yeah, I, I go with that. I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying they 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 pulled it off. I'm just saying that they, well, they, we don't know yet. They, they, they might have done. <laughs> no, but they they certainly it was something they thought about. I'm sure sure that I mean, this is very much like the Conservatives spending three pounds to actually buy become a mem- Labour member and putting Corbyn in. Yes, you know? did you see that? So Jeremy, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Labour had uh, after, after yeah. the band, they yeah. had Jeremy Corbyn. The, yeah. you had to pay three pounds. Anyone could vote. So all the Conservatives paid three pounds and voted <laughs> online and got Jeremy Corbyn like the biggest commie in since 1945. Well, that's it. forever. Yeah, you know. And I have no, I have no doubt that. That Trump was always part of the plan for the Democrats. I I believe that uh, in America um, today, uh, facing a crisis as it is, that the only solution is a reverse takeover from Cuba. They have. Uh, there has to be a reason. Uh, firstly, the cigars are good. Uh, has to be a reason that they've got good relations. And I think that if you get um, Castro moving in as head of America, it could become great again. <laughs> Well, that that is so what is in, little, what is in this little, whiskey, man? What is it? This is delicious. It's a little less ridiculous than either Hillary Clinton or, well, or is, Donald Trump it? making you know, that if place any better. We had a strong better. government. We could have done that because you know America was actually we've known from the ANC or a sworn enemy of us, and they were going to send battleships to kill us at one stage. I forget which MP said that, but it was one of those brilliant <laughs> ones. Um, but we could have, if we had a strong, we could have actually suggested a reverse takeover that we will actually run the states and here. Um, and in fact, maybe we still can. Maybe, maybe Jacob will go there because it would be racist to turn him down. And he could actually a few more gold taps to him, Candler, you know, and a bit of, you know, I'm sure Donald's has to be a solution. Well, they could be good friends. They could be good friends. They, they assimilate in many ways. If Donald gets in and it's not impossible. No, it's very unlikely now. 
Well, I, you, you know, it's amazing what you can do. You can call some, because you didn't say all Mexicans, you can call some Mexicans rapists. Yes. You can threaten to build a wall across your entire southern border because you don't trust the people to the south. You can say free trade is a bad idea, which is pretty much what built America. You, you, the, you can, you can do a million of, you can tell, say your daughter's hot when she's 13. Yes. Um, but the word pussy, that is just, it's, it's a step too far. Doesn't work. It's a step doesn't too work. far. That, that is, work. that is what killed it. That's what killed it. Well, women are the ultimate victims, right? So obviously they're going to play out the narrative. But that 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 uh, tape was from eleven years ago, and NBC yes. had it the whole time. Oh, they had it when he was when he was the doing apprentice. the Apprentice. Yeah. They knew about the tape. They just exactly. never aired it because he so was. Now, they were making money off it. Now yes. they release it somehow four weeks before the election. That's not coincidence. Yeah, but uh, I think WikiLeaks is going to come out with those thirty-three thousand deleted emails just before the election. Yes, you see, that's going to be going to be quite and, interesting. And if, as well. if there's something in there, then that could make Trump win. But I think at this point, it's it's highly unlikely. I think it's unlikely, but I mean, you can't rule out anything over there at the moment yeah. because there are two dismal candidates. Um, uh, Ramon's telling me we're we're, we're out of me? time. Are we getting shouted at? Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we <laughs> no, are. I just I just to told them to bugger off. All right. Well. Um, is that is that this? I well, feel like we could uh, talk. Where, wrong. where do we get the the the, the forms for to join the KKK? Somerset West. Uh, do you have one in in, in we're on Joburg we're East? on the um, we're on the uh, website www.lynchmob.org.za. I thought there was a Man and Guardians new name. Oh, was it? Maybe, maybe. No, we actually um, we we we're not really looking for new members at the moment. Oh, okay. But you know, we will phone you if we need you. Yeah, because I'm no. Arab. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. We don't. I'm works. sorry. I don't be really racist, but you know, we Arabs and French. We don't really need them in a. KKK in Somerset West. Indeed. Because we. Jonathan can come there. <laughs> <laughs> Providing he brings his anaesthetist stuff the here. So the Jew can the come Jew, to the KKK. The Jew's fine. The <laughs> no, we can do that. But only because he's got the drugs, man. Oh, right, right. Uh, all right. Well, what more did you say, David? The pleasure was all ours. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thanks very much indeed. I'm a keen fan of Renegade Report. I think we do need to get these voices out there, sometimes sensible ones, sometimes not so sensible ones. But we do need to carry on fighting. Yeah, so I think that's important, and uh, really, uh, it's not whether you agree with the voices; it's that you're prepared to listen to them. So, uh, just download uh, the Cape Town sake. Cape Town Press Club. Um, something to note: uh, if you uh, yes, don't dis- don't disagree, Club. you might disagree with the voice, but uh, nothing wrong with hearing we, it. We should invite Steve Hoffman on here and then publicly show the violent threats that we won't receive. And if we do, who cares? Because no, I think we should probably, words can't hurt you. We should publish them anyway. Right. Steve, you're welcome anytime. Um, we might not agree with you, as we say, but hey, we'll listen and we'll have a chat. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore reports on Facebook as well. Give us a like. If you're listening to the show and if you enjoy it, please rate us on iTunes. Rating us on iTunes is the best way for us to get found. It also ranks us in the listings there, uh, gives other people a chance to find us more easily. You can find our guest at LunchOut2 on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, go swear at him. Go tell him you disagree. He's uh, always up for a uh, bit of a fight. Uh, from those other people as well. Uh, he's yeah. just saying he doesn't block as often. All right. So uh, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Cheers. CliffCentral.com